Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker, 1480 KQAM. Also, you can find us on the FM side on 99.7 HD4. If you have that high-definition radio, also welcome into our family over in Garden City, Kansas, over at 1240 KIUL as well. What's up? Welcome into it. It's Kansas Talk right here. Appreciate you hanging out with us on another Saturday morning. Can you believe it? We are one week away from Memorial Weekend. I know that you are officially in vacay mode. You are officially in summer mode. Children, you can celebrate as well. Your summer break is officially here. A little voice of reason. She finished off yesterday her final day of school, and now she is ready for her summer break. I've been joking with her, telling her that because many of the school districts going to four-day school uh, weeks because of maybe some cutbacks, some consolidation, I told her that they were extending the school year and that she has to start fifth or fourth grade, fifth grade. Don't tell, don't give me a year ahead already. I'm telling her that she's starting fourth grade on Monday. She wasn't very amused with that one, <laughs> but we'll keep that charade going as long as we possibly can. Welcome into it. Three one six seven two one eight two five. It's hard. It's mean, right? It's mean to do that. It means she can enjoy a little bit of summer break. Man. We have one heck of a show lined up for you today. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK if you want to join in on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. Bottom of this hour, we sat down just a couple of days ago while he was in the Wichita area. Our very own Kansas Secretary of State, Scott Schwab, he jumped in studio with us for a bit to chat about the recap of Legislative Session 2023, some of the modernization laws that they made for the elections across the state, how the election cycles went last year, and moving forward in the state of Kansas as well. So we had a lot to chat with him about. We'll play that interview with the bottom of the hour. Hour number two, uh, it's good to have this guy back on as well as uh, we sat down with him just yesterday. And I tell you what, it scared the crap out of me, got to be honest. It scared it scared the living daylights out of me talking to this guy. I don't know how law enforcement does it. I hat off to them uh, for doing what they do every single day, both at the local level, Wichita Police Department, obviously Sedgwick County Sheriff's Office, any sheriff's office, uh, and then the Kansas Highway Patrol. But the Kansas Bureau of Investigations Director, Tony Mativi, we had him on the program. We'll play that in hour number two. And to be in that industry day in and day out, to fight the crimes that they fight, to be involved with the people that they're involved with, to do the investigations that they investigate, it would scare the daylights out of me. They see the side of the world that we never want to see. They protect us from the darkness in this world that we never want to experience, and it is a very terrifying world, and I would live in a constant state of paranoia if I had to be part of that and do that day in and day out. So, we sat down with Tony Mativi. The last time we had Tony Mativi on the program was when he was a candidate for the attorney general's race uh, just last year. So it's good to have him back on the program. He was doing one hell of a job as the Candace Bureau of Investigations director. And we're really looking forward to having him on the show. We'll play that interview coming up in hour number two. Really interesting, fascinating, and yet again, scary beyond belief uh, information when it comes to the battle against opioids and fentanyl in the state of Kansas and human trafficking issues in the state of Kansas and more that they're working on. So. 
We'll do that and uh, and uh, play that interview coming up in just a little bit. Wrapping up hour number two as well at the bottom of the next hour at Davis Liquor Outlet. As you know, next weekend is Memorial Weekend. We'll talk with Davis Liquor about some of the uh, specialty and recommended drinks and adult beverages for you to enjoy next week going into Memorial Weekend. So there's a lot to talk about, a lot to get to. And, of course, this half hour is always open line to you at 316-721-8255. A lot of things I want to talk about and discuss to kick off the show today. However, before we do that, I, I, before we get into some of the issues in Topeka and Governor Laura Kelly, which has made another disastrous move on many different issues, I am quite surprised, however, she did sign the educational bill just yesterday. So we'll talk about that in a second. But first, as you know, the Republican Party as a statewide entity has been going through some changes and doing some interesting things, to say the least, as uh, the new president, Mike Brown, and the new board of the Kansas Republican Party has been advocating for some changes on the makeup of how the board was done on some of the committees that we have as a Republican Party, and it's been shaking up the Republicans quite a bit, and not a whole lot of people very happy with what they're doing, uh, because it could potentially rid ourselves of representatives from, let's say, certain minority groups, certain committees, uh, the women's Republican groups, the black Republican groups, the Hispanic Republican groups, booting them off of committees at the statewide level because they say that they are unelected officials that aren't really voicing the support for the people, but that's not necessarily the case. And it's kind of a weird move in an off-election season when our entire point and our purpose and our mission in an off-season for the Republican Party is to be uniting the Republican Party, to be widening the umbrella for the Republican Party. And I don't know what this move does to actually expand the Republicans, except for cause turmoil within the Republican Party. And uh, that's not going to put us on some good grounding and, and a good footing for next year's 2024 elections, especially with the presidential race and all the other big races we have here on the local front. So uh, to lead up to that, different districts, congressional districts here in the state and the leaders within those districts uh, have sent a letter to the state Republican Party that were advocating that they would fight this move. Uh, this is the letter from right here in the 4th Congressional District, and uh, the other districts have sent letters to the state Republican Party as well, saying the chairs for the Republican Party of each of the four congressional districts have issued the following joint statement from all four districts in Kansas. Quote, Recently, the Kansas Republican Party Rules Committee forwarded a proposal to amend our state party's constitution to remove numerous elected officials and key organizational representatives from the state committee. Removing the voting rights of these Republican organizations that are crucial to growing our ranks, are ousting elected officials who have won important elections, is ill-conceived, lacks justification, and shocks the conscience. It further division and discord and sends the wrong message at the very moment we need to be unifying, growing, and working together on behalf of our candidates in 2023 and 2024. The Republican Party must never be used for the mere raw acquisition of political power, nor should individuals who have the privilege of serving within the party ever be perceived as using their power to punish their fellow Republicans. Rather, our proper focus must be promoting the principles founded within our platform, welcoming anyone to our party who shares these principles, and then working together to nominate and elect candidates who champion these principles once in office. As the elected chairs of each of the four congressional districts, we stand united in opposition to this proposed amendment. In the strongest possible terms, we urge members of the Rules Committee to reconvene and immediately withdraw the proposal. A simple promise not bringing it up in summer does not suffice, as even sending the signal that the party is even considering this extreme action risks further irreparable harm 
each day it remains a potential point of discussion. It is unacceptable to the vast majority of Republicans, and we will not rest until it is defeated one way or the other. That was a joint statement from all four congressional Republican leaders across the state of Kansas to the state party uh, saying that they don't want this. And the reason I bring this up is for many that are just registered Republican voters but aren't necessarily involved in the Republican Party either at a state level or even at a local level, if you go to your county Republican meeting or if you are maybe a precinct leader or anything, this is important to you. How the Republican Party works at a statewide level is vital to how we can choose proper Republican candidates, how we can have representation within the Republican Party, setting the platform and the agenda for the Republican Party, getting decent candidates to run all over the state of Kansas, and then trying to widen that umbrella and get more people to register as Republicans and keep a strong party. Now, that being said, the Republican Party in the state is extremely large, obviously. We have more Republicans, we have more independents and uh, unaffiliated voters in the in the state than we do Democrats, but why would we give up that stronghold? And it seems like whenever we get so big, we tend to topple over and crumble within ourselves because we can't strengthen ourselves and we end up bickering amongst one another, which is, seems to be what's been happening right now especially with the shakeup going on at that statewide level. Now, I will say as well, in conjunction to that, after the letters have been sent from the congressional leaders, Mike Brown, the chairman for the state Republican Party, did send out a message as well uh, responding to this. And now, he's just to preface this, he has said publicly that he is the, not the one that has proposed this change in the rules committees, that it was the legislative leader's that have done this, or at least the leaders within the state Republican Party um, that he nominated, by the way, because when he came in, he kind of cleaned house with some of the leaders at the statewide level, putting in some different individuals, and they're the ones proposing these rule changes. But he has said that he has not been the one that actually proposed this and was unaware of it, and that he somewhat opposes it and has stayed out of that conversation. But after this letter was sent, he did send out a letter as well to all the delegates and and alternative delegates in the state of Kansas, and this is what he has said in response, when I ran for chairman, I committed not to put my finger on the scale of both primary elections and inter-party discussions. I appointed our party committee members upon recommendations of district leadership to ensure a cross-section of Kansans. I appreciate the time and effort the committees have put in their charge and know they will continue to thoughtfully review and debate resolutions brought before them. As chairman, the bylaws dictate my responsibilities clearly based upon the concerns expressed to me and the impact of the Rules Committee resolution is having on the party and its members, I have directed the Rules Committee to meet and reconsider its recent recommendation to the State Committee to change the makeup of the members of the Executive Committee. I believe the recommendation to reconsider will allow our party to refocus on expanding our party and winning elections. Our party, the Party of Lincoln, the party that championed women's suffrage and civil, civil rights, has and will continue to support all of our GOP members' full involvement in our party. Our members are diverse and ethnicity, background, age, and beliefs, and we are united and one uh, in our passion for smaller government, less taxes, and more freedom. So applaud because you did it. You as the elected representatives for the Republican Party at the local level have spoken out enough to where they have, it seems like right now at least, uh, killed this initiative to change much of the rules at the statewide level. The sad part about all this, however, is the fact that we've had so much drama within the Republican Party that we are fractured. I'm extremely disturbed, myself being an alternative delegate to the state of Kansas on the Republican side and seeing some of the internal conversations that many just regular, quote-unquote, voters 
and registered Republicans don't get to see is that we are very fractured internally and it is very concerning. And hopefully this will mend a little bit of that and we can start moving forward to get more registered Republicans to lay out our platform as a Republican Party and to get candidates for the 2024 election. That's our goal. That's our mission. I am excited to see some of the changes for the primary election next year and see how that goes with the state running it as opposed to the Republican Party running it, uh, running the uh, the primary election. And I am excited to see how we can move forward as a unified party because right now the little bit of drama and bickering amongst the party is kind of petty and it's frustrating. And that is a major reason why we have so many unaffiliated voters and independent voters in the state that are frustrated with the Republican Party but don't want to register as a Democrat either because they still have many conservative beliefs. We have to win them back. And the only way to win them back is to win them back with a strong Republican Party that doesn't show the internal bickering and the drama that's going on that we actually have a front. And that front is very simple. Not specific, super detailed line item agenda issues, but an overall concept of limited government, conservative values, less taxes, less regulation, and a focus on the private market. Once we have that, then we can come to our own conclusions on how to get to that way. That's the beauty of the Republican Party. And the beauty of our Republican Party is the fact that we're not like Democrats that have the elected establishment, wishy-washy leaders dictating how the party is going to be run and what candidates actually go up. So I am proud of the Republican Party. I love my Republican Party here in the state of Kansas. But come on, man. Let's stop some of the drama. we got a lot to get to today. We'll get your phone calls when we come back right here on Candace Talk on Which Does Big Talker KQAM. Stay here. past the hour. Welcome back into it. Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Appreciate you hanging out with us today on a Saturday. By the way, it finally hit me. I thought I was doing so good. I thought I skipped this year. I thought I was able to scapegoat through it. But it officially hit me. My throat this morning. Holy moly, man. Started taking some medicine last night. Well, it's really because I was working out in the rain a little bit yesterday. For those that don't know, programming notes, we've had just a couple little technical glitches on KQAM. Some satellite issues, we're working on them. But with the rain yesterday, we were working on some of those. And I think it got to me as by yesterday afternoon, a little rough, a little rough in the throat. So we're powering on. We got this uh, Mrs. Voice of Reason with her uh, natural health remedies, jacking me up in all the medicines. So I'm feeling good. It's just a little rough to talk. So bear with me as we move through the program this morning. It'll be gone in a day or two with all the regiments that she has on me because that is the way for natural Organic, holistic health. No need for all that medicine, I tell you what. We're going to do this. And uh, See, I tried to tell I was just going to sip on some whiskey, burn it out of my throat, and be good to go. And she told me that uh, that wasn't the way to go. So uh, I still have that in my back pocket if I have to. Whiskey's always grandpa's old cough medicine kind of thing. So I have it ready to go and uh, may be doing that as well this weekend with the adult beverages. But, hey, ready to rock and roll. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the program. All right. Enough of the Republican Party, the internal drama. Just to keep you posted what's going on is you are probably majority of lead that's listening to the program, a registered Republican 
in the state of Kansas, and uh, we're working on that party to strengthen it, unite it, and make us stronger than we've ever been before. I am optimistic. I am encouraged by the fact that we're going to see some really strong candidates come out in the elections next year, that we are going to dominate the 2024 election here in the state of Kansas. So get ready, baby. It's going to be amazing. On the other front, as we still wrap up legislative session of the year, Governor Kelly took a little bit of time to do this one. She was in a bit of a rock and a hard place because while she wants to be the education governor in the state, the education system, the bureaucrats, the administrators, not the actual teachers themselves, but the actual administrators and bureaucrats and the teachers unions and the school, uh, the progressive school boards, all advocating for her to veto the school funding bill that was passed by the Republican legislature. Now, remember, any bill that comes through the session is not Governor Kelly's bill. She's not the one that made it happen. She's not the one that did it, whether it's taxes, whether it's budgets, whether it's spending, whether it's whatever. She's not the one that did it. I know during the election time, she tried to parade it around and said that she did this and she did that. The only power she has is to sign it and make it official, so I guess I applaud her for doing that when it happens, but the legislature's the one that writes it. They're the ones that design it. They're the ones that debate it. And they're the ones that pass it and then say, all right, this is the final product. Sign off or veto it. And for the governor that says she's not a veto governor, has vetoed more bills than we've seen any governor in like 60 years. So <laughs> there is that for you. Uh, at the same time, we've also overridden more vetoes than we've ever ridden, overridden in the state of Kansas as well. But this one she finally did not veto. After advocating from all these different administrative groups and, and public education representatives across the state telling her to do so, she ended up signing the House Substitute Senate Bill 113 that includes EK-12 education funding for the next five years, saying, quote, Today I'm keeping my commitment to Kansas families and being fully funding our public schools for the fifth year in a row. What's more, I'm proud to stand up for rural schools, the hard and economic engines of communities throughout the entire state by rejecting efforts to cut the funding needed to keep them open and continuing to serve Kansas schools. Now, she did line item veto a couple of things in the bill that we'll talk about here in just a minute. But the legislation does include $5 million to schools so they can buy communication equipment to better coordinate with law enforcement along with certain uh, the Narcan and other issues to try and fight fentanyl. It includes $9.4 million for parents and teachers, a program that provides parents with the knowledge about child's health and development and connects them to community-based services to help with education as well. This, by the way, according to WIBW News. And it includes $1.8 million earmarked for the bill uh, to uh, support teacher professional development with another $1.3 million set aside for a program to provide teachers early in their careers with mentors to support professional growth. Now, part of that is included due to the uh, expansion of trying to hire teachers from out of state, where some said that they were concerned about the quality of teachers being properly qualified in the state by coming in and not having the same curriculum that we do here in the state. But with the teacher shortage that we have, and many teachers retiring because there's been just way too much shenanigans and way too much pressure on them because of the teacher shortage, We've expanded our look to try and bring more teachers into the state and then creating new programs to mentor them and teach them if they are young up-and-coming teachers, which is great. That's all fantastic. But again, all done by the Republican legislature. Remember, because according to Governor Kelly, the Republicans don't like the public education system. And according to the administrators and the bureaucrats and everybody else, except for the teachers, they said that this was part of a school voucher program that was included in it. 
The concern that Governor Kelly had that if she had vetoed this bill, they would have had to call in a special session for the legislature again. And if that were the case, then they could have tried to actually push for school vouchers again and school choice in the state, which she does not want. The administrators do not want. So for a Republican-led legislature, this was the best funding that she was going to get. It also does meet the constitutional requirements for special education funding, as we heard Speaker of the House Dan Hawkins say last week on the program with their recap on this as well. It's a good bill. It does fund things. But the real question is, does it really actually solve the problems? Because we've been funding schools over and over and over. We've about doubled the amount of money going into it over the last seven, eight, nine years. And have outcomes of education and the quality of it actually changed? Hmm. That's a question. We'll get some phone calls when we come back. Plus, uh, Kansas Secretary of State Scott Schwab right around the corner here on Kansas Talk on the Big Talker KQAM. Stay here. It's time to tell him he's wrong at 316-721-TALK. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out today, as always, here on Kansas Talk on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Really happy to have this guy back in studio. It's been a little bit since we've talked uh, after recapping election season and going through legislative session of 2023, which was madness. As you know, last week we talked with Senate President Ty Masterson and Speaker of the House Dan Hawkins in studio with us for our recap, but to talk about some of the electoral issues that we worked on throughout the session as well in studio with us secretary of state scott schwab scott andy, how are you my friend i'm great andy thanks for having me i appreciate it oh it's always good to chat with you before we get in specifically to election stuff uh just the session overall i know you work with a lot of legislators obviously for the things you do uh for the business side of stuff election side of stuff but in your uh, opinion just how was the session from your side from our side it was great we got every bill we wanted the ones we were concerned with didn't advance um and none of our bills were vetoed by the governor um so we were able to build some pretty strong consensus and so i mean it was time we had some we had a lot of statutory cleanup that needed to be done sure and it seems for the last 20 years every time we try to do that people try to just you know weigh it down with all these absurd amendments but the Democrats right now don't want to touch elections. <laughs> and the Republicans that are concerned, uh, that are believing fallacies about, you know, the, any compromise in elections that Kansas may or may not have, there's not a majority to pass anything. So it was an opportunity sure. to clean up some statute. Yeah. Uh, there was, uh, I always say that our elections, while we always have ways to fine tune it, uh, yeah. find ways to tweak it, we have one of the best ones in the nation because the fact that other states like to base a lot of their new election laws and reforms off of what we're doing here in the state of Kansas. Yeah, and so they, the two states, a lot of times as states, we look for things that the Democrats do, what do the Republicans do, and what can we do to get passed? Right. And this was my frustration with what happened with Georgia, and I'm a big baseball fan, but to pull the All-Star game was a farce. Right. Because what what Brad did in Georgia, or the legislature actually did it, was they did voter ID for advanced mail ballots. Right. The Democrats down there actually liked it because signature verification is so arbitrary. Sure. So they looked at our law, Minnesota's law, and Cal- in Colorado's law. So all so where did they move the All Star Game to, yeah. Colorado, to Colorado? They had the same law, <laughs> and so it's this emotional reaction. And I'll, I'll say both sides do it, but 
it, it's kind of a vindication because, you know, they said it's voter suppression. Well, guess what? It was the higher, highest voter turnout. Right. Warnock gets reelected. And what's, what's the first thing he says? Well, it was voter suppression. Well, so you, you got elected by voter suppression. Right. So we've got to start changing the conversation, not just in Kansas, but nationally. It's, yeah, sometimes elections are done well. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we while there are many states that have a lot of issues on electoral issues, um, I don't think Kansas is one of those. No, and we, if, if we didn't prove it before, we sure did after those recounts. Yeah. Nothing changed. And in it, 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 I really feel vindicated for our clerks. Right. Because while during that harsh primary, I was attacked personally, really who they're attacking is the work of our election volunteers mm-hmm. and our clerks. And these are your neighbors. These right. are these are family friends. Some of them are high school students. You're accusing them of committing fraud. Sure. And, you know, after those recounts, it was like, hey, told you there was nothing to see here. Yeah. Yeah, it worked out pretty well. Let's talk about some of the bills you guys worked on this year. The only one that I was aware of, uh, unfortunately, I don't think happened, but trying to get rid of the grace period for mail-in ballots uh, to make sure that everything's in by election day. And I don't think that one happened. Well, it did get to the governor's desk. That's the one she vetoed. Okay. And we've been consistent saying that is absolutely a policy decision. Sure. So the way we got the three-day grace period, just a little history, was um, Democrat clerk out of Douglas County, Jamie Hsu, and then Republican Secretary of State, Chris Kobach, coordinated together um, because all the, almost all the mail processing centers left Kansas. Sure. So if you're in liberal, your your mail goes to either New Mexico or Tulsa. Wichita sometimes goes to Oklahoma City. Anything on the east side goes to Kansas City, Missouri, uh, Hayes, and the western northwest corridor. Everything goes to Denver. Right. And so every ballot leaves the state, and you're hoping it comes back to show up to clerk's office. So um, Jamie wanted a five-day grace period. Chris wanted one or two. They split the difference, said three. That's how it got there. Sure. So now after the 2020 election and after the school board elections in 2021, folks were like, well, why do we have this? Mm-hmm. Um, it was because of that, that agreement. So they tried to end it at 7 o'clock, elections over. That right. is completely a policy decision for the legislature. We're right. neutral. All we did is, like, clean up technical things in their bill to make sure – you know, they don't it, it's in line with the rest of the statute. Sure. Um, but, yeah, the governor vetoed that and they didn't have the votes to override. Yeah, it was an interesting conversation because I get it and I, I kind of agree with it as well. But, it, you know, it's, because to me, we have mail in ballot options for what, like two months with early voting, a yeah, month and a half, a month and, That's a, half. a month and a half. So you have plenty of time to get in. If you're waiting to drop your ma- your ballot into the mail the day before election day, then come on, man. Well, see, and that's a valid point. And I will also say some, we've had people, I was talking to uh, Donna, clerk out in Russell County, and last year she said, yeah, I got a ballot that showed up seven months late that was mailed three weeks early. Wow, interesting. And then I was sharing that story with Dory, the Finney County clerk down in Garden City. She goes, oh, that's nothing. I had one show up a year and a half later. Really? That was mailed three weeks early. Wow. So this is what I know. Yeah. People are like, why do we have those drop boxes? That's why That's we why. have them. That's why. Because that way your ballot is always handled by a Kansan. Sure. It's not handled by somebody else. And we have monitors on them and it's handled by two people of two different parties as opposed to a postal worker that may or may not yeah. send it to the clerk's office. Well, and that's the thing, like, and we don't need to go down this road again, you know, but that's. I didn't care for drop boxes until we saw the system that we have in place here. It's not like other states where it's just, okay, it's almost like the mail. You just you do your thing. And there's no validation there. Right. With ours, they're secured, and then you validate the uh, signature on it, and you validate everything else. So it is secure, and if someone does try to drop in, 
some type of fake one, then you know it is easily catchable, but it doesn't have to go through that postal system. Right. It doesn't have to go through the system. We have a security envelope. We have voter ID for it. And yeah. you don't know how to print that ballot off. You don't know the paperweight. <laughs> you don't know what kind of code is on there to verify that ballot's for that election. But along with that is we're not like California where anybody can put a Dropbox by their business or their organization. And as a matter of fact, in California, we uh, we picked up two Republican seats because the Republicans say, well, if they're going to put Dropboxes, we'll put them in our church. And so the churches started ballot harvesting and they're all playing by the same rules now. But in Kansas, you can't put a drop box out in front of your station here. Exactly. That's against the law. And that's the difference when they talk about, you know, the 2,000 mules thing is those drop boxes aren't owned by the government. Right. Yeah. So apparently I can't put a drop box on my radio studio here. Well, you can. Um, <laughs> you want to look at the That would be voter fraud. <laughs> that, that would be voter fraud. All right. Well, we'll, we'll make sure not to do that one. Uh, talk about some of the modernization stuff that you worked on, though, because it has been a relatively successful year for you. It really was. We've been trying to make some of these changes for over 25 years. And it, again, a little more history because I'm a nerd. Um, back when we became a state, um, people from Missouri would kidnap our poll workers. Because they didn't want us to vote the legislature to have, you know, anti-slavery legislators and members of Congress. Right. So they put it in statute in 1865, I believe, that said if the poll workers don't show up, you can elect your own poll workers so you can carry out the election. Sure. We don't need that today, right. um, especially when we're doing some background checks on poll workers. We're also it's training. It's a, a little bit more involved to be a poll worker than it was in the 1800s. That law needed to come out. Sure. Another problem we had, and I think Karen Tyson had a legitimate concern when she asked for some um, recounts in her treasurer's race against now Treasurer Steve Johnson. She didn't know which county she wanted the recounts in mm. because the Board of Canvassers haven't met. Right. But according to law, you had to ask for it before they met. Well, what happened was she requested her counties, and then after the Board of Canvassers met, some of the counties flipped. Right. And I, I, and that was something we tried to fix in the past. We haven't been able to. Now we do the recount after the Board of Canvassers meet. Sure. And that way, if there's a contest or if there's been an administrative you know error, exactly where to focus you know on. where to focus on. Um, some of the other things we did is a lot of times, I, it's funny, it's actually a Wichita story, is in the mayor's race in 2021, 60-some people voted for Epstein didn't kill himself. Mm. it's not even a person it's a phrase (laughs) we said especially in larger communities if you're going to do a write-in campaign you have to do an affidavit with the clerk's office interesting that way then yours will be counted right but mickey mouse is not counted anymore donald duck goofy bugs bunny how many of those do you see really in a county like sedgwick thousands really yeah really depending on the race interesting and so now those are going to have to be counted, so it's, 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 it's taking workload off our clerks. It's, taking, it's really freeing up time for the board of canvassers right? so they can really focus on the ballots that are questionable. You know, did the signature match? You know, right. did, was it the correct ID? Yeah. And so they can focus on more important things than Goofy and Mickey Mouse. Um, so we fixed that. The other thing we did um, is there was some, there was a, if you do a school bond election, mm-hmm. you had 30 days to set it. Okay. But according to UACAVA, federal law for military, you have to give 45 days to send out a ballot. Sure. So we were in violation. Okay. So we were able to extend that to 45 days. So it's, the voters won't realize what we did, but it makes it so much easier on the administration of an election, it's, it's which eliminates errors, exactly. which eliminates errors, which increases confidence. Yeah, that is good news. I mean, yeah, when we're stream, streamlining that, then it's your workers can do things efficiently, like you said, to make sure, even though we are already accurate to the best we can right now, 
it just helps that process even more. Absolutely. And anything you can do to eliminate errors, variance, and waste provides a more efficient, trustworthy election. Yeah. Is there still conversation at all from legislators, especially with any kind of bills that they talked to you about this year, about um, the electronic side of it, the security side of the electronic voting machines, that sort of stuff? No, there was some talk about folks trying to eliminate machines, but you're really eliminating security when you do that. If, you know... You can say, well, what if someone hacks the machine, which is hard to do because they're not on a network. And we passed the law the year before that says you can't do that. Right. But if all you do is have people marking it, now you're increasing the human error rate. Sure. And humans make mistakes. Humans get math wrong. Humans miscount, misunderstand, misread. As a matter of fact, in some of the counties that there was a slight change and the value of them both count, Mm -hmm. it was because people didn't mark their ballot correctly. Sure. So it says use this pen and fill in the oval, almost like your old ACT test you took or didn't take. Right. Um, and uh, some people just draw a line through it. Yeah. Well, that may not get counted. And now you got a board of canvasser trying to judge what the voter intent was. Sure. Whereas it, like in Sedgwick, they have the touchscreen machines. It's every pa- ballot is on paper. And sure. that is by law. It's, we call it paper, paper ballot voter verification. Okay. So you have a piece of paper. You can look at it and make sure that it votes for the people you say. And it's not ink. It's burned into the paper. So sure. it's hard to fraudulate it. And you know definitely the voter's intent. Yeah. And you put it in the ballot box to be counted. Um, those are very secure. But in that machine, there's a stick that's taking a tally. That's what they upload to their computer. So on the website and in major election years, you can look at our website and get an idea who's winning, who's losing. Just yeah, a thermometer. And then they also have an image of those ballots. Okay. The advantage of that is, you know, you you can't hack a sheet of paper, but you can catch it on fire. You can burn it. Well, now we have an image to make sure your vote still counts as someone did attack a tabulator and burn your ballot. It is nice to have that extra security backup, especially with other states where, you know, mail in or even just paper ballots just end up missing or just randomly appear in the back of someone's trunk of a car or something. Yeah. (laughs) So it's funny because we hear those stories and they say, oh, this must be happening in Kansas. But every state's different. I think Wisconsin's really fascinating. They don't run their elections by the county. Sure. They run them by the city. Right. Well, what if you live in the country? Where do you go vote? Right, exactly. The nearest town. Well, that town may be a town of 900 people. So the clerk is a volunteer and doesn't even have an office. Sure. So the clerk's got to count the ballots. So they put them in her car and she drives to her house. Yep. And her, they get around the kitchen table and they're counting they're the ballots counting in her house. Do. And then all of a sudden the next day she realizes, oh, wait, I left a bag in my trunk. Right. Well, everybody said, well, that's fraud. No, it's incompetence. <laughs> There is that. There is that for sure. Uh, we're talking with Scott Swabs, uh, Secretary of State for the state of Kansas. Uh, let's talk about real quickly Sedgwick County. I know that we've gone through uh, a few different rotations for election commissioners yeah. in the area. How are we going into the off season this year and then for the big election next year here in Sedgwick County? So, yeah, Laura Rainwater visited with her yesterday. She's doing really well. Um, yeah. You know, there's always some disruptions when you have leadership change. Angela did a fantastic job. Yeah. I love her. But it was a stressful job. And the county commission was not too interested and funding the office to give her the resources she needed. Mm. And so she was working probably 10 hours a day, seven days a week. Right. Um, but she couldn't get paid overtime because she was salaried. Of course. And so she was the lowest paid person on the staff, but yet she was taking all the bullets at a very heated time. So she just was done. And we, I wish her well. I hated to see her go, but she did well. But Laura Rainwater came in. She's been an election judge. She has the understanding of the voter um, interaction side and the technology. Now it's the registration, putting the calendar together, getting things printed and yep. managing the office. And she has a great relationship with the county commission. They've approved five FTEs for her 
to make sure that they are able to um, execute better on election and kind of take off that work burden. Sure. You know, one commissioner said, well, we're just more efficient than the other four big counties. No, you're not, because when you have a three-hour wait or an, even an hour wait, sure. that's not efficiency. And I, I tell folks, you know, we can talk about, you know, government spending too much or too little, but nobody will argue the fact that elections are a function of government. Right. You don't prioritize that or you don't privatize that. Right. So it, it is a function that the, the county needs to pay for. We've always said we believe elections are best run locally and funded locally. Yeah. And that's why we're against D.C. grants to us. I don't I don't want the money. I want it, it, If they pay for it themselves, they can do with what they can handle with the resources of which they generate. Sure. Well, and it sounds like it's going to be an interesting change next year as well with the primaries. It sounds like since we're going from kind of the own parties doing their own things to actually having a primary election in the state. Yeah. And this is the only that's the only year they're going to do it. So I think it's more of an experimental thing. And we helped draft it a little bit just so it was done in a way that we can actually execute on the election. Um but here's it's the reason why it's called a presidential preference primary as opposed to a primary is normally when we have a primary in August, whoever wins a primary's name is on the general ballot in November. Right. That's not the case here. So you're going to have candidates that will pay $10,000 to get on the ballot, and then Super Tuesday is going to hit. Some of those people are going to drop out of the race. Sure. So we may elect somebody who's already dropped out of the race. Or like what happened with our caucus before. And it's up to the parties to determine how much weight that presidential primary covers. It might say only whoever wins that only gets 30% of our delegates. Mm. The rest are appointed by the chair, appointed by a senator. And that's what more you get in the super delegates. I don't like super delegates. But the the parties like to control their system, which is it's it's their organization. They can do whatever they want to do. Right. So this is a situation where the state's going to pay $4.7 million for an election that the winner of the state may never show up on the ballot in November. Interesting. You know, or the one they vote for drops out the day of the election. And so now it's $4.7 million (laughs) that could have probably found a better home, but it's what uh, legislative leaders and the governor wanted. Sure. It'll be an interesting style to see. Uh, I've liked our primary process and how we've kind of done things with the party before. So this, yeah, like you said, the experiment will be interesting to see how it goes this year. It will. Both the Republican, I I do take a lot of comfort in this because the chair of the Democrat Party was an opponent of mine. The chair of the Republican Party was an opponent of mine. Both of them criticized the way we do elections. But then they both asked the legislature (laughs) to ask us to do another election because they know they couldn't do it. And I just, I always say that with exuberance because it's justification. And I said, that to our clerks when they met last week and they just started laughing applauding like yes Great. the very man and woman that were saying our clerks can't run an election they're now asking them to do it because they know they are more qualified exactly so there's a lot of redemption there um but that being said you will see how that they haven't written the rules yet so but it may increase participation we'll sure. see That'll be interesting. Uh, last couple of minutes here as we let you go, Scott, and I appreciate your time as always. But uh, let's shift gears away from elections for just a moment. Obviously, you handle a lot of the business registration yeah. stuff going on in the state as well. We're coming out of COVID. Things are starting to get back on track. Are you still seeing new businesses coming into the state, new business applications? Yeah. So I don't know what the average is now. I know our high was about 140 a day during COVID. It was 80 wow. a day. Okay. So we it was getting close to doubling. And so that's why we were always talking about the business one stop and update. We're almost off the AS400 that we've been plowing through for four years. Wow. And we're beta testing some new systems that go along with that. And so if you're an if you own an LLC, next year you'll pay your fee, 
you'll notice it's a bigger fee, but sure. you don't have to pay it for two years. Mm-hmm. So we're alleviating some of that administrative burden on businesses. And then we'll also be able to launch that business one stop where you just fill out the wizard and your permits come to you. You don't have to hit all those different silos of government. So we're delivering on what we campaigned on five years ago. Right. But what I was hoping would take four years, it's going to take five to five and a half. But most of it will be done by the end of this year. It'll be nice. That'll help entice, I think, a lot of businesses as well. And individuals just being like, hey, maybe I want to start my home business and uh, just go right to you guys and get it done. Yeah. So um, I visited with um, Ben Sauceda, and he he had me visit with the, the Latino Chamber of Commerce here in Sedgwick County. And you have a lot of Latinos that are legal residents immigrating to the United States legally. Yeah. Um, but they, they have this is like if I moved to Mexico, I wouldn't understand their parliamentary system right away. Right. They don't know the difference between our office and the IRS. Sure. And so we're working on reaching out to these new groups because they're hairstylists, their own restaurants, they have food trucks, yep. um, small contractors. And they're, they're living the American dream. It's why they want to immigrate to the United States. Exactly. And they're doing it in a legal fashion. And it's nice to reach out to these Latino groups to let them know, here's how you can legally have your business and why you got to file with our office and how we can make it easier for them. And we're launching more and more of that website in a span because their, their Spanish is better than their English. Sure. And we want to make sure they're compliant as they continue to um, assimilate to the American way of life. I love it. It's good stuff. You guys are rocking it, and uh, a lot of changes, a lot of big stuff happening in the office. Yeah. So it's good to update, and I appreciate you letting us update the folks here in Sedgwick County about what we're doing. And it, it's real positive. It goes to show. I always love Reagan because Reagan got Tip O'Neill to vote for a tax cut. Mm. It's because he could find consensus. Yep. And we were able to do that through all the noise. We got some significant legislation passed that the governor was more than willing to sign. Sure. And so there was a couple of roadblocks. Some grassroots organizations were misunderstanding what we were telling. But, you know, some sometimes it's like my nine-year-old doesn't matter how many times I tell him he's wrong <laughs> until he finds out himself. It, he's not going to listen to that. Sometimes you just have to experience the world on your own. <laughs> it's hard to do sometimes, but sometimes you just got to do it. Yeah, I got a 19-year-old and a nine-year-old. And the nine-year-old's You get like, the best of both worlds I there. do. Yeah, yeah. And he, he just rolls his eyes like, was I like that, Dad? I said, hell, I was like that. <laughs> I love it. It's Scott Schwab, Secretary of State. Scott, it's always good to talk to you, my you friend. Too, Thank you so much for coming in and uh, doing your tour, letting everybody know what's going on. We'll do it again soon. Will do. Thank you, Andy. Always a pleasure. Right back here on Kansas Talk on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAR. There it is. That was uh, Secretary of State Scott Schwab. We appreciate his time. Long interview, but a lot of great information. The modernizing of our election system in the state of Kansas. Do you feel comfortable with our election system here in the state? I know that uh, there's still always concerns, and we can always fine-tune, always make things a heck of a lot better. But with the modernization, making things a little more streamlined, a little more secure, a little more safe, does that make you feel comfortable when you go to the ballot box here in Kansas? Now, I'm not talking about Arizona. I'm not talking about Georgia. I'm not talking about Pennsylvania. I'm not talking about Michigan. I'm not talking California. I'm not talking New York. There are some major issues in those electoral systems out there. But in Kansas where other states are basing their election laws off of what we do here in our state, do you feel comfortable and do you feel secure that when you go to the voting box that you feel comfortable with that system? I'd love to get your thoughts on that one because I hope you do. And I think, at least, that our legislators, our Republican legislators, our Republican Secretary of State, our Republican Attorney General are working to make sure that they are as efficient as possible, especially going into another major year like 2024 when we could see a Donald Trump nomination again, and that could be another cause for concern on whether it's valid or not across the nation. We want to at least say here in Kansas, we did our part and we've done everything we can to make it as secure 
as possible. we got some calls on the line. Stay here. We'll try and get to you when we come back around the corner for hour number two. Also, our interview with Tony Mativi, the Kansas Bureau of Investigations director, when we kick off as well. That's a scary, yet extremely informative interview. You're not going to want to miss. We'll do that when we come back right around the corner. It's Kansas Talk. Good Saturday morning to you. Let's get things moving here right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Filtered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into it. It's hour number two of Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker. 1480 on the AM side, 99.7 HD4 on the FM side, plus our friends out in KIUL in Garden City, Kansas, 1240 AM. What's up? Great to have you. Happy Saturday morning kicking off another weekend. Man, I tell you what, it's flying right on by. We love the conversations that have been going on. Thanks again to Scott Schwab, Secretary of State, coming on the show last hour. We have Davis Liquor Outlet right around the corner in uh, the bottom of this hour as we're going to talk about Memorial Weekend. That's next week. Can you believe it? It's officially here. Ending of school year of 2023. So glad we're not going to potentially have chocolate milk in the public schools next year. So glad that's going to be a potential. Oh, man. That's the world we live in today. We'll get to that a little bit later. Get your thoughts on it. Holy cow. 316-721-8255. talk We have a couple callers on the line. Hang tight. I promise we'll get to you here soon. But I want to play an interview that we did just a day or so ago. And while it's probably one of the most informative things you'll ever hear, it's also one of the most scary things you'll ever hear as well. As we haven't had him on since he was a candidate for the attorney general's seat for the state of Kansas last year. Uh, actually just about a year ago when we had him on talking about the campaign. But now he is rocking it as the Kansas Bureau of Investigations director talking about fentanyl in the state, the ending of Title 42, the uh, human trafficking issues in the state, drug trafficking issues in the state, and other things. As I said, I don't know that I could work in that industry living in such a deep, dark world fighting the devils of the world on a daily basis. It would mess with your head, and I don't know that I could do it, and I give absolute kudos and hats off to everybody that does that for a living every single day. That's insane, insane, absolute insanity. So we sat down with him. He is the Kansas Bureau of Investigations Director, Mr. Tony Mativi, as he joined us here on Kansas Talk. Tony, how are you, my friend? Good to talk to you. Thanks, Andy. I'm great. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's it's great. And uh, before we get into some topical issues, obviously you've been on the job here for a few months, getting all settled into the KBI a lot of things going on and national issues, local issues all over the state that are going to be demanding your attention. But is it what you thought and how, how is it going trying to get the department up and running right now? Well, I have the tremendous benefit, Andy, of having taken over from a prior director, Kirk Thompson, who was on the job for more than 11 years. Kirk is a friend. He is a great guy. And so I have the benefit of taking over uh, a well-established organization that does fantastic work, and it's been managed exceptionally well. Uh, so that that made it a lot easier for me. Good. I love that. I, I know it's a busy one, which we, we appreciate your time jumping on here, because this is uh, a way to stop the crime across the state of Kansas, and not just in the state, but uh, all around the Mid-America region. Uh, I mean, obviously, one of the big topical issues that I know you've talked about, you've wor- you're working with the AG's office on right now with this battle is, of course, fentanyl. 
and the massive amount of fentanyl coming into our state. We've seen some of the biggest fentanyl busts in the state of Kansas uh, that we've seen all over the country. How is this battle, and what are we doing to try and curb some of these issues? Well, I have to tell you, Andy, this is um, a really concerning issue. Uh, I can't overstate the magnitude of the problem. We see more meth in Kansas than we see any other drug. I mean, this part of the country, meth is still king, if you will. Mm. But the, the really terrifying thing about fentanyl is the increase we've seen in the number of cases. So if you look at the number of fentanyl uh, samples submitted to the KBI lab between 2020 and 2022, that number of fentanyl samples submitted to our lab for testing has risen 900%. So trajectory-wise, I'm really concerned about the numbers of fentanyl cases that we're seeing. Um, we're seeing it. We're seeing fentanyl being sold on its own, but we're also seeing fentanyl being mixed in with literally every other drug that people consume. Uh, we see it mixed with meth. We see it mixed with heroin. Um, we actually had a report just the other day of someone who died from smoking a joint that had been laced with fentanyl. Wow. So, uh, and then we're seeing it in what folks think would be over-the-counter drugs uh, like Adderall. Uh, turns out there may be fentanyl mixed in there. So it, it's really concerning how pervasive it is among uh, other uh, drugs. But the other thing that, that worries me so much about this drug is there is no part of the state that's immune from it. There is no demographic that's immune from it. And uh, I, I don't mind talking about this, but it, it has become kind of a personal battle uh, for us at the KBI. Uh, one of our folks lost uh, an 18-year-old son to a fentanyl overdose. Mm. Uh, just yesterday, I spoke with somebody from the Garden City Police Department who lost her 23-year-old son. Uh, and and b both of those parents, both of those parents have come to me and said, please get the word out. Please continue the battle. Please use us as examples of the fact that no one is immune from this poison. Amen to that. Well, I'm sorry to hear all the personal attachments to this because this is this is a major issue that so many are battling with. The weird part is you mentioned that it's not only being laced with drugs that we'll get to in a second here, but it's being sold just as a straight pill of fentanyl, which blows my mind because it's so potent that even being laced with other drugs is fatal for someone immediately. How in the world are people selling this just as a straight pill for people to take? Yeah, it's, you know, there's a drug out there called the M30 that people think the fentanyl in that pill is a low enough dose that it will have the desired effect, but not be fatal. And the problem is those pills aren't made in an FDA regulated laboratory. Right. These are being made by just like methamphetamine, right? Just like ecstasy. They're being made in a garage in a five gallon bucket by somebody stirring it with a, an old canoe paddle. You know, <laughs> that's how this stuff gets mixed up and then pressed into pills. And so it's not regulated. And the amount of fentanyl in any one of those pills can vary significantly. And in some of them, they might just get the quantity that they need to get high. And the very next pill might have enough fentanyl in, them, in it to kill them. Wow. And so another aspect of this that's really concerning to us is when I started in this role just a few months ago, the price of fentanyl pills on the street in Kansas was upwards of $15 a pill. 
Uh, what I'm being told by our agents in the field right now is that price has dropped to less than $5 a pill. One of the things that we know historically is that drug prices in Kansas trail the prices along the border by about a year. Just last week, I was at a conference of my colleagues from around the country. My counterpart in Arizona told me that right now, fentanyl pills are available uh, in Arizona along the border for 26 cents a pill. Oh, my gosh. You know, we're seeing a spike in fentanyl overdoses and fentanyl deaths with fentanyl at you know several dollars a pill. When those prices drop below a dollar, as we know they will, uh, I'm very, very concerned about the number of fentanyl overdoses and deaths that we're going to see. That is a terrifying uh, stat to, to think about. And why the drop? Is it just because of the availability of that? And is that, do you think, going to get worse even more so in Arizona and trickling up this way about a year after or so based on the ending of Title 42, the cartels that are taking hold and the more availability that's coming up to the area? Is that a big factor of this? So lots to unpack there, Andy. Yes, availability is a key factor in the prices dropping. Um, fentanyl is the most profitable drug that the cartels have ever seen. And make no mistake, it is the cartels that are behind the distribution of fentanyl. We heard back at the beginning of this process about it being the Chinese. That's true, and that was true. But since then, the cartels have realized how much money they can make off of fentanyl. They have intervened. They have wrestled control of the market away from the Chinese. And they are, they are using their very sophisticated distribution networks to make fentanyl available. They are making it widely available. That's one of the reasons that the price is dropping and it's going to continue to drop. And the more fentanyl is out there on the streets, the more of these overdoses and deaths that we're seeing. And, and we have to, one of the things that we're working on is education, right? As long as there is a demand, there's going to be a supply. And we are stepping up our enforcement efforts. We're doing going to do targeted enforcement efforts. I am at a training today for a joint fentanyl impact group that is a cooperative effort between Kansas Bureau of Investigation, the Highway Patrol, uh, and HSI, uh, and hopefully we'll get uh, um, other state, federal, and local partners on board. But we are going to throw as many resources as we can at this problem, but we are not going to be able to enforce our way out of this. We're going to have to educate as well, and we need to educate the public. We need to educate parents. We need to educate teenagers. And frankly, we need to change the mindset in law enforcement and help uh, agents and officers and deputies out on the street understand that a fentanyl overdose, it isn't an accident. Yeah. It's a homicide. Right? Yeah. It's a murder. Uh, someone has intentionally, somewhere in the supply chain, someone is intentionally interjecting fentanyl into the distribution stream. We've got to treat that like the homicide that it is. That is very true. It's very strange because you would think as a drug dealer, you'd want your customers to continue to come back to you to purchase more of the product for the long term. But if you're giving them stuff that's laced with something deadly that's killing them, you're kind of killing off your customer base, aren't you? That's kind of a weird marketing and business concept for them. Yeah, the you know the, the reason that that's happening is because the manufacturing of the substance is so poorly controlled, right? And so because the amount of fentanyl that's being introduced into these other substances varies so much. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. We're seeing fentanyl mixed in with methamphetamine. 
And what the agents are telling me is that the fentanyl powder doesn't adhere to the meth crystals very well. So what's happening is as an addict uses that little baggie of meth, the fentanyl powder shakes off from the meth crystals. So by the time the user gets to the bottom of the baggie, the last two or three hits are more fentanyl than they are meth, and that's what kills them, yeah, right? So, yeah, so the, the, the cartels aren't intentionally trying to kill off their customers. They're trying to get their customers addicted. But because fentanyl is so dangerous and because it's so unpredictable and uncontrollable, people are dying as a result. Yeah, that's that's a scary thought. We're talking with Tony Mativi, the KBI director for the great state of Kansas, as we talk about some of this fentanyl issue. And I know that's been kind of the main focal point for, for all of us is how to stop this. And like you said, we can't just use law enforcement to just stop people from doing things because they're going to continue to do things. It's going to be that education and letting people know about the potential dangers of uh, this sort of thing. And now with the ending of Title 42 and with more migrants coming in, a lot of them tied to the cartels in some way, shape or form, outside of just the fentanyl issue itself, is this a focal point for the KBI now to stop potential uh, gang wars or for individuals tied to cartels with human trafficking as well in the state of Kansas? I know Wichita's a big uh, hub for human trafficking because of the straight shot we have from the border. Uh, what are we doing here and what's the focus on this issue? I'm glad you asked about that, Andy. You know, last uh, Friday, uh, Sheriff Easter and I uh, attended a press conference with Senator Marshall, and Senator Marshall had just returned from a visit to the border on Thursday night as Article 42 um, expired. Um, I had started to mention earlier, and then I forgot to close the loop. You know, we were seeing the, this spike in numbers even before Article Two, Article 42 expired. There's no question that the expiration of Article 42 is going to make things worse. Yeah. Right? You listen to Senator Marshall talk about what he's seeing at the border. It is a humanitarian crisis. Our government, state and federal and local, are having to throw so many resources into this problem. I talked with my counterpart last week from Texas, the director of the Texas Department of Public Safety. He told me that he has 2,000 agents just along the border with those agents constantly rotating. As law enforcement uh, devotes all of those resources toward the immigration issues, we're making it easier and easier for people to smuggle things over behind their back. And look at it this way. As law enforcement officers are looking at the immigration taking place, as they're looking in that direction, what happens behind them, right? right? And what's happening behind them is as they're focused on this humanitarian crisis and, and on stopping this influx of refugees, they have the opportunity to see even more fentanyl across the border using these sophisticated networks that the cartels have in place. Yeah. Golly, it's a scary thought there because if we're seeing an increase already now in the price dropping for fentanyl, especially now what we're going to see here in the next six months, next year, year and a half is going to be pretty devastating and we got to find a way to battle that one. Uh, it's uh, kind of on the same topic, but I want to shift gears just slightly. I know that during the legislative session this year, uh, marijuana was one of the topical discussions about potential legalization, obviously at a more medicinal level. I know other states around us with Colorado, Missouri, kind of, sort of, semi-Oklahoma with the recreational side of it. Do you think that eventually down the road, if legislature ends up going down that road to legalize the growing and or selling of that in some way, shape, or form, would that help the issue? Because then we could actually know where the crop's being grown and know that it's safe and not being laced with something that we're getting on the black market. I don't. I, so 
Andy, I, I wish that were the case. Uh, it's really not. Uh, there was some pro-legalization uh, legislation that was offered this year. Uh, the KBI joined forces with an NGO, and we presented a lot of testimony to the legislature about what are the facts behind legalization. Mm-hmm. And we focused on the facts. The pro-cannabis lobby is very, very well-funded, but to me, they are the definition of snake oil salesmen. Um, if you look at the facts behind this, there is no good argument, in my view, for legalization. Look at what's happened in Colorado. It's a disaster. Look at, what, look at what's happened in Oklahoma. It's a disaster. Missouri just passed it, so we're keeping a very close eye on it. But I suspect that when we get to the next legislative session, we're going to be able to show that there also it's a disaster. I talked to my colleagues down in Oklahoma. They have a very well-regulated program for being able to grow marijuana. If you look at the grow operation that's happening in marijuana, you can total up the number of legal users there are out there for marijuana. And you can total up what is a, a, a reasonable um, estimate of the amount of marijuana that they're going to use with their marijuana card. Okay, take that as a starting point. The amount of marijuana grown in Oklahoma is a hundred times more than the amount that would be required for the legal use by everybody <laughs> in the country. Wow. Not just in Oklahoma but in the country. Where is all of that excess marijuana going? It's going into the black market. Interesting. Right? Yeah. So you know, in, in, there, are, there are states that make the argument that, well, if you legalize, you take away the black market. If you look, talk to my counterpart in Colorado, talk to my counterpart in Oklahoma, what they will tell you is there is no such thing as eliminating the black market. Wherever you have one of those heavily regulated products being sold legally, right around the corner, you can go out and buy the same product for less. Yeah, That's what the black market is. And legalizing and regulating it doesn't eliminate the black market. The studies have shown that what happens is actually the opposite. Sure. It's a fascinating conversation for sure, and and uh, you know making the matters worse would not be ideal, especially with what's going on right now. But last couple of minutes left here on the program, and I appreciate your time very much, Tony. A lot of information outside of the drug issue, which I know we focused on primarily uh, with our chat today. You have a long history of some really cool cases, and I can't wait to sit down and actually talk to you about one of these times. Uh, but what else uh, that can you talk about that you guys have been investigating and working on with the KBI? I've seen some of the stories about some uh, the missing children cases out of like Parsons and some of the pedophilia cases that we've seen uh, with some of those types of criminal activity going on in the state. Are we getting better on that front? And what's the latest that you've heard? Well, unfortunately, the violent crime rate continues to rise, uh, both in Kansas and nationally. Uh, at the KBI, uh, violent crime is one of our focuses. Uh, I wish we had the resources to focus on crime in general. Uh, unfortunately, we don't, so we have to prioritize. Uh, one of our priorities is violent crime. Uh, another of our priorities at the KBI is Internet crimes against children. Yeah. Uh, I wish, again, I wish we had the resource to focus on all Internet crimes. You know, I'll give you an example. My 81-year-old mom, uh, she has access to the Internet. Because of that, people have access to her 
and I worry very much that she doesn't have a high enough index of suspicion to fend off all the people that pose a threat to her and to her financial stability uh, that are out there on the Internet. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have the resources to address that. We have to focus on Internet crimes against uh, that involves primarily uh, cases involving what's called CSAM or child sexual abuse material. And we devote a lot of resources toward investigating and prosecuting cases against people who uh, generate and transmit child sexual abuse material. Now, there are who will say, well, you know, why are you worried about cases that just involve the transmission of images? And I'll tell you, Andy, it's because if we look at our CSAM cases over time, the cases involving child sexual abuse material or Internet crimes against children, what we found is that well over half of those cases involve actual contact with a child. Wow. So just talking about people trading or dealing in images, we're talking about pedophiles who actually have contact with children. And so that's where we devote our resources in that regard. Uh, the legislature this session was very, very helpful to us. Uh, we asked for some additional funding resources, and, and one of the areas in which uh, we're going to apply those resources is in northeastern Kansas, we have a very effective child victim task force. Uh, we want to replicate that in western Kansas, and this year the legislature gave us funding for that, and then next year we'll ask for funding to replicate it in southeast Kansas. So that yeah. thing is that's going on with regard to you know what we're focusing on and and what we're what short, what course we're charting for the future. Yeah, I'm glad you guys are focusing a lot on that. It just, there's a special place for individuals like that, and it just burns me up to even hear that we have to deal with it. But unfortunately, it is there. Uh, it uh, we like watching some of the shows and some of the uh, some of the things online where people try to stage as children to catch these individuals. And I know you probably can't talk a whole lot about it, but are those type of operations happening to try and catch these people in, in the state? You bet. Absolutely. We have, uh, we have some very competent, very seasoned, exceptionally capable people uh, who have a commitment to those kinds of cases. Those are very special people. I don't know that I could spend, I could devote my professional life uh, to investigating such disturbing cases, but we have agents who are are, are, com are completely devoted and dedicated to those kinds of investigations, and they do a fantastic job. Yeah, amen to that. Yeah, I'm so glad you guys do it because, like you said, I don't know how they do it. I know I couldn't do that and study that uh, for a career day in and day out, but God bless them for doing that because every time I talk to you and talk to law enforcement about the things going on, it just shows that uh, I'm more scared of the world every day, and I just want to go and isolate myself and hide away from the rest of the world. It's Candace Bureau of Investigations Director Tony Mativi. Tony, thank you so much for coming on the program, my friend. Thank you for everything you're doing in the state. We'd love to get you back on again soon and get another update from you. Andy, I take advantage of every opportunity I can to get out there and brag about the KBI. I think that the citizens of this state get a tremendous bang for their buck out of this organization. Uh, it is a, a great group of people, uh, very competent, very professional, working very hard every single day uh, to protect uh, our fellow citizens of Kansas. So I enjoy the opportunity to talk about it, Andy. Thanks for having me on. And I'll, I'll come back whenever you like. Amen. You better. We'll get you on again here soon. We'll take a break right here on Candace Talk on the Big Talker KQ. There it is. That was Candace Bureau of Investigations Director Tony Mativi. Some scary stuff right there. Woo, buddy. But some great information. And you know what? We have a stellar lineup of leaders in the KBI that's fighting the good fight and fighting those demons in our society. We'll take a break. When we come back here, we got some calls on the line. We'll try and sneak you in. Also, 
Davis Liquor Outlet. We are a week away from Memorial Weekend. Can you believe it? Summertime's officially here. Kids are out of school. They're exa- I keep telling my little one that her fourth grade year starts on Monday. So, you know, with the four-day uh, four school week being changed in her district, that uh, she's got a shorter summertime. So hopefully she enjoys this weekend. Ha! That's mean. That's cruel. All right, when we come back, we'll talk with Davis Liquor Outlet, talk about some of the drinks to enjoy your Memorial Weekend celebrations and more. It's Candace Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker. Thank you, Larry. Stay Wichita's number one in talk radio. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. Last half hour on the home stretch here for a Saturday, getting you set for Memorial Weekend. I know it's already warm outside, although I have to admit I've been enjoying a lot of the rain and moisture. And uh, we're so dry out there that I will take it. Keep on coming, baby. Keep on trucking. I know many farmers and agricultural leaders are excited about that as well. Uh, welcome into it. Candace Talk right here on KQM. Also, our friends out in Garden City, Kansas on KIUL, hanging out with us on the program as well. So getting statewide coverage the entire southern half of the state of Kansas. That's the way we roll here on the program. 316-721-8255. We have our guests in studio. Real quickly, we have a caller on the line here that's been hanging on for a long time. So let's sneak you in here real fast here, shall we? Good morning. Who's this? Scott. Scott, what's going on, brother? You got about a minute. Go for it. Well, like I said, as far as uh, I'm concerned, uh, I think the ABS should be investigating uh, the county of uh, Wichita and the city of Wichita because spending $6 million on a pickleball court when they don't have grocery stores in areas is real questionable. Uh, and, and like I said, the voters, they need to uh, consider who they want to vote for. The people they got in office now obviously don't have any common sense in terms of what the basic needs of people here. And yet they're spending money on illegals. And I'm sure as soon as the illegals come here, they're going to find a couple more million to spend on them. Yeah. Well, come on. Come on, Scott. I mean, the the pickleball court is going to boost the economy entirely around here. It is going to create so much excitement and uh, festivities for people that they won't know what to do in themselves. They will be so focused on the eight pickleball courts in southern Wichita. That is going to be the game breaker here for the uh, entertainment. It will not even be able to pay for itself. (laughs) It won't even be able to pay for itself because nobody's going to come here to Wichita to play that. And well, apparently they're they planning on out. tournaments. They're they're playing. That's why they doubled the amount of funding for it, and they doubled the amount of courts so they could hold the pickleball tournaments. Into them, I get it, Scott. I got to run here, but uh, you're right. That's I mean, pickleball really. That's that's your. Let's find ways to entertain people in Southern Wichita because there's not a whole lot of festivities down there or entertainment. Let's build a pickleball court. That makes a whole lot of sense. All right, let's get to our guests in studio here. Excited to have them in. As you know, next week is Memorial Weekend. Hard to believe it's already here. But uh, with the summer weather, that means you're outdoors, you're barbecuing, you may be going to the lake, maybe traveling around, hanging out, and we got to find the proper adult beverage to enjoy said summertime festivity. So in studio with us here as we try and get them in as frequently as we can with Davis Hooker Outlet, Mr. Brian and Blake Davis. What's going on, guys? How are you? Good morning. Bring that. Uh, bring that. My oh, there's not uh, a microphone there, is it? I took that out. All right, we're gonna. T- oh man, all right, you're gonna have to share that one. I'm sorry. Yeah, I. Uh, we're we're sharing microphones with a couple of the studios, so we'll just. Uh, there you go. The butt's there, hanging out. Um, yeah. Welcome, guys. It's a. Uh, can you believe we're already at Memorial Weekend? This is insane. So you're telling me that the year's halfway over. 
Almost. <laughs> don't, don't tell me that. That just takes it into another perspective there. It goes by so fast. Have you started your holiday shopping yet? The holiday shop. Are you ready for your Christmas break right yeah, now? Yeah. yeah, good golly. Uh, but it is nice to see finally some warm weather. It's also nice to see some rain lately. Holy cow. Yeah, I, was, I sat on the back patio last night, and I was cold. Yeah. I had shorts on, but I was cold. Like, man, it's really nice out. Yeah. I need to mow the yard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, nice. Nice rain. I just I was in the driving through the Flint Hills yesterday. I went back from Kansas City, and I like this time of year because it's pretty. I mean, it's green. There was cows out grazing, so they've got the rain out there. I know it's not enough, but yeah. it, it is. You know, it's it's better. It, at least it looks nice. I mean, it's, we'll take what we can get. Exactly, we'll take um, what we can get. You know, yeah. it's, it's better than the winter drive. Yeah, I'm assuming with you guys too, with the the liquor store that you guys have probably the the boost of individuals wanting to go out and actually get their drinks and and get ready for the barbecue and uh, you know drinking while they're outdoors and enjoying the outside. So I would say today, I mean, people are we're getting ready to go help my mom do some yard work. I'm gonna go to get some brats because I'm gonna cook brats tonight for myself. So. Mm. People are going to be outside, playing in the yard, working, and this is, you know, people are getting to do those kind of things. Um, okay. And, and maybe, they're, maybe they're playing pickleball. Who knows? <laughs> but, you, <laughs> but you know what? At the end of the day, they're going to drink something when they're done. So I'm like, hey, well, you know, it's, whatever. That's you know. right. Whatever's uh, there, if, even if you are you playing know, pickleball. events this weekend. People are going to be out walking around. Just, just all that good stuff. I love it. Yeah. All, right. all right. I have to ask you, this has been lingering on my mind <laughs> with the conversations at the federal level. Have you seen a decrease in purchases of Bud Light? So... <laughs> yes, yes and no. Uh, and, and and so, you know, we have stores that are in three different pockets of town. Sure. Um, and so our 13th in Waco and our 21st Salmon has not. As a matter of fact, they're up. Interesting. Um, the demographics okay. are, are just different. There are certain people that just don't give a crap about this. Sure. Um, the, I will say our West store mm-hmm. um, has seen a, a decrease. Okay. Um, but on the other hand, our bush light numbers might be up. So... From the same you company. You just yeah. can't. I mean, it, without somebody yelling at me later on, because I'm going to say this, <laughs> you can't have it. On, you can't have both sides. Right. Pick one side or the other. Right. Um, Miller Lite's going through something right now. I mean, they're going to get hit. Sure. Um, you know, we're we're talking about illegals coming over and the fentanyl and this and that. But you know what the number one beer is going to be in the third quarter of this year? What's that? Modelo. That's a that's that's, a, that's, that's a the one that's increasing as beer as Bud Light's losing its crown for it's the number, number one selling. Yeah, it's it's been number two for a while. I mean, it's it it it's right there. Miller, Miller Light and Coors Light have not been anywhere close to number one, number two, maybe number three for a while. Okay, um, but Modelo's on the way. Modelo up. is on the way up. Modelo's and they're good. it's going to take it's going to take Bud Light spot probably by the end of the year just because it's they can't they're not going to get out of their hole for a little bit. Right now, on the other hand. Bud Light's still going to have a 45% share of the market or something like sure. that. I mean, we're talking just, you know, it, it's it's that when they're down. But, I mean, but since it's, it, we've seen, yeah. We've since seen the events happen nationwide, I mean, Bud Light shares are down 8% total. Yeah. I mean, so it's it's taken a hit, not as hugely. So, I mean, it's, I mean, I guess on a week-by-week basis, they were seeing like a 23% hit the, in the shares and that sort of thing. But uh, for you guys, it's just kind of depending on where you're at. A lot of on-premise. A okay. lot of bars um, are feeling, are, have, uh, have, have, okay. have taken... We see such a broad amount of people coming in that mm-hmm. we don't tinker with what we have where. Right. But a bar owner might say, "I'm not going to have Bud Light on tap anymore. I'm not have Budweiser," and that, and so that's that's where you know our local distributors are seeing 
more than anything, I want you to pull your So people don't want to be seen drinking it publicly then, here's what you're telling. Correct. (laughs) There's a little bit of that, and I think there's something about going up to the bar, and there's five taps, and one of them's Bud Light, and you go, oh, well, there's Bud Light there, versus, you know, you go in a liquor store, and there's a thousand beers and Bud Lights in the mix. You know, it doesn't uh, jump out at people as much, maybe. Interesting. That's an interesting concept. I was curious about that, on what we're seeing here on the local front. On the other side of it, and we've been talking about this for years, and I am so, it's finally here. It, and I bought my case. Yingling is in the state of Kansas. It is here. I'm seeing it on taps. I'm seeing it in the liquor stores. I'm seeing. I am so excited. I have enjoyed it immensely. <laughs> How is it with you guys? Is it popular right now? So, yeah, um, the our distributor has already hit their yearly quota. So, <laughs> if if people are seeing out of stocks, which there are, I mean, it's like you might be able to find bottles this day, and then you might be able to find pint. Bottle, you know, it, it, it pocketed because trucks are coming in just with one thing on it, on it, on it at a time. Right. So like right now, light and the flight, which are is the ultra light basically version mm-hmm. of theirs. Um, we haven't seen that in two weeks, but really probably the first of June, that truck will show up because they're sharing. A, they have like they get to use the brewery down in Texas like ten percent of the time or something like that. Okay. So they have a very short window to make all these things for Texas, Oklahoma, and for Kansas. Gotcha. And and yeah, so the flight is good. I, I actually had not had that one until just recently. I just I had a six pack and uh, I finished off the flight. And that was I've always enjoyed just the original Yingling, the darker beer. But the, the light was actually or the flight was really good. And the flight, I guess, is 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 getting up there in numbers with their original. Um, Interesting. I, I, and I didn't I for me, all I thought about was the original coming. I didn't. Yeah. What's the rest of this? All the other stuff. Yeah. Um, and then they will have the Oktoberfest um, seasonal and the black and tan, which is a very popular one, won't be here until next year. Um, it's their spring sure. spring one, and they just the window for brewing it was already over with by the time yeah. it was going to show up here. So, but yeah, it's it's every week I'm I'm putting putting cases on, and it's well, we'll see what shows up today, see and it's just kind of playing the game. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. Uh, well, at least it's and, getting a good response. I mean, people uh, people that I didn't even know knew about Yingling were like, oh my gosh, I can't wait for this to get here. And it's not it's not taking away from something. It's uh, they might come in and buy a twelve pack, and then they're buying another twelve pack. It's it's mm. become a add on. Like I'm gonna get my regular beer, and I'm gonna have this. So it's it hasn't it it hasn't supplemented it, some it, correct. Something else. Yeah, it's not it's not taking the place of something. Um, huh. Now at the same time, it's great time for it to get launched because there is. You know, again, back to the Bud Light thing. So somebody might yeah. be looking for that Yingling light um, yeah. or the flight and those kind of things to offset that. But, but yeah, it's it's yep. It's, it's, just keep it's doing it. its thing. Yeah, it's yeah. doing its thing and it's doing it proudly. People have yeah. been demanding Yingling to expand for years. I mean, I told you the story. I mean, in college before it wasn't even sold in Ohio; it was just sold in Pennsylvania. We go across the state line into Pennsylvania and load up the trunk of the car with college kids and bring it back to college wow. campus because it was that good. Uh, so I'm so glad that it's here and it's doing well. So. Uh, they're just going to keep on expanding. They will become yeah. the number one. They will. And they, you know, for they are uh, on the craft beer side, which is what they are. I mean, they they outsell uh, Sam Adams and Sam Adams. Wow. Freaking in every state that there is. <laughs> England's still only in 22 states or something like that. So that's amazing. They are still, you know, it's it's crazy. And they're and they're owned by the same family. I mean, they haven't yeah. they haven't sold their soul yet. So. Yeah. Um, which is probably just a matter of time. <laughs> Let's hope not. It's just weird. It took them so long to expand like they have. And that's part of it is that demand is that supply part. Like they don't want to, a lot of, you see a lot of times they 
come out with this new product, like, oh boy, it's here, and then you go back to get it again, like, well, they didn't make enough to do it. Right. And so that's really their philosophy is if we can't supply. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. Yeah. Um, we're not, until we have that facility to be able to do it, um, they're kind of, yeah. Sure. Um, that's where they're at now. That's amazing. Good stuff. I love it. Now, you guys brought some other goodies like you usually do in here, which is amazing. As we get into the summertime, that means I'm assuming people enjoy maybe the little little bit, maybe fruitier drinks or just lighter drinks because it's hot outside. They want a refreshing drink while they're working or playing outside. So what are some of the goodies that you brought here today? Right. So we got two, um, you know, like you said, you know, summertime, summer beers. So we got two uh, kind of fruity offerings that are going to be perfect for those 90 degree days. You're sitting out on the back porch, just got done mowing the lawn, what have you. So to kick off here, we got a uh, one beer from New Belgium. Um, so this is their Dominga Sour. So they've had a mimosa flavored one for, for years now. Okay. This is a new one that's Paloma flavored. So if you haven't had a Paloma, it's a tequila and grapefruit juice or made with squirt usually um, drink. So super, you know, Tangy and good, but perfect, you know, hot out over ice and all that. Okay. Um, so I'm going to pour these the for you. So give it a shot here. A New Belgium Dominga beer. I have i don't think I've even had a New Belgium before. I usually stick with the, uh, um, you know, the the shock top and the yingling and that sort of stuff. So I don't even know that I've had any of these before. This will be interesting. The New Belgium fat tire would be right up here. Uh, right up here. Your, fat tires. Yeah. Good. yeah. yeah. So okay. That, okay. That be, you know, up. And these are. Low, I mean, six percent. It's like a grapefruit smelling, um, and, yeah. And hot day sitting outside. Yeah, so it's Ooh, a, okay. It's a sour, but it's not you know, it's not warhead sour. It doesn't pucker you up. It just got right. that nice little tang and everything. Yeah, so really approachable for anybody, even if you're not you know a huge beer drinker or not you know much into craft. It's super approachable for anybody. Super light. It is. It's like it's just like a tangy grapefruit beer. Mm-hmm. That is really good. Ah, oh, look at that. And, you know, on the hot days, we don't want to be drinking our 9.5% juice forces all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, or, uh, you know, slipping sideways while you're trying to mow. Yeah, stuff like this. there is that. There is that, too. No, that's uh, that's really good. I'm going to put that up to the camera one more time for those that are watching on the Facebook Live. And uh, that's really, so that's a new one that's come in? Yeah, th- this flavor's new. Um, okay. They have a, a mimosa one that comes in an orange can that's also excellent. Now, is this seasonal um, or is this going to be long term? These are seasonal. They both uh, usually okay. hit hit spring and then through part of the summer and then they'll drop off. Interesting. So get, right. them, get them while you can. Get them while you can on that one. Okay. Sorry, I had to take another one. That's really good. I like that. <laughs> I uh, at Last time, I didn't realize. So what drink was I having at home a couple of um, I can't remember the name of the beer now, but it was really good. It was, again, kind of like that, just the fruity stuff. Which I've been venturing out and trying a little bit more of and trying the microbrews. You guys turned me on to the microbrews because before I've stuck with the traditional Coors and Budweiser and Bush and that sort of stuff. So now I'm expanding out and trying new horizons here. Well, your your flavor profile, I mean, it's, it's kind of all, I mean, you like that stronger, um, what is the, the, I never remember what you drink. The mead. The, the mead, mead, yes. You know, oh, full, yes. Full-bodied yes. flavor. And then you go and you drink a Coors Light, which is, you know, it's like, let's be honest, it's like drinking a water next to yeah, me. Not full uh, body. But there are so many people think, uh, when they think craft beer, they get scared. Like, oh, I don't like IPA. Well, there's, yeah. there's not. This is this is a light wheat beer that you just drank. It's just right. a wheat beer. It's, it's just a different version of Boulevard wheat with a different yeah. flavor profile and some salt. Um, but there's a lot of those things that are there um, that aren't scary. Low alcohol, easy to drink. You know, you just on the back patio with different flavor profiles. Sure, stuff like that. That just, you know, don't be scared. Try it. I mean, I I spent years just going over to to Rob's World of Beers before yeah. we really started doing our craft stuff and getting singles, so that 
I kind of had an idea what we should bring in because I didn't, I didn't know. Right. Um, and, and you know, they, they have, they have those options. It's just a good place to go try. It's Where a, it's a good a, place to go try. Yeah. I, I think the stigma came from like growing up is kind of on the farm. The, the good old boys, the right next up. It's just, that's the traditional. It's the, it's the cheap, good beer. And you just, you know, or the college kid that's broken, they just get the cheap beer like that. But you, you really do look at quality on that front where you get the microbrew and you don't want to pound a 15, you know, cans, unless that's your goal. I mean, you know, you, you don't have to do that. You can drink one or two of these and get the same effect and feel really good and have a good time. I went from drinking 12, 13 Bud Lights, let's say, back in the day to four or five. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> we're good. Woo, we're time, good. You know? I love that. All right. This is, uh, this looks like an interesting one. I, I'm not sure on this one. A for those that we were just talking about the kids in the end of the school year, Sunny D, <laughs> not for children, Sunny D, uh, vodka seltzer. Where did this one come you're from? Gonna be, uh, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm very embarrassed how good this tastes. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is my first time trying it, too, and uh, I've heard nothing but good things, and it is like the hot commodity right now, and we're really? selling out at a couple stores. This and... is like the adults that still want to relive their childhood memories with the flavor of Sunny D, I yes, guess. It is. Um, and, and, again, low alcohol. Um, it's 5 4.5%. 95 calories, no oh sugar, my gosh. all this, all this and stuff, it, and <laughs> it tastes like Sunny D. It's like it, a, it's, it's a sparkling Sunny D. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's dude. Yeah. Come like, on, man. It's crazy. It was, um, <laughs> I mean, and, and uh, Monster just came out with theirs. So okay. Oh, really? They have, they have kind of the same idea. Um, they're big flavors with with some. Some stuff mixed with it. Same. I mean, the new popular style is kind of going with the uh, the, the sparkling juice. That's a that alcoholic it, beverage. Yeah, it's it's kind of reminds you of the kid. I mean, Sunny D and vodka back in the day. So. Sunny D. And, <laughs> I don't think I even had Sunny D and vodka. Well, maybe I did. I take that back. Yes, we did. We used the. I mean, the orange juice and vodka. So Sunny D. Yeah. was definitely the thing. But this is pre-made, and you get to relive the glory days of. Um, so okay, so well, while the kids are having the regular Sunny D. We get to have our own Sunny D as well. Right. Everybody gets to have fun. Everybody gets to have fun. <laughs> and you have to admit, it's pretty good. I mean, it's yeah. It, and you're right. I I hate to admit that it's actually really good. Yeah. When it first uh, got pitched to us, I was you know it was pre-orders. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't want that in our store. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Thank you. Yes. And then it's it's good, uh, and people are buying it up like crazy. It's so a, it's, it's got that Sunny D tang to it. It really. I, I don't know how they pulled off. You know, and it doesn't have that. You know, some some seltzers kind of have that like fake sugar aftertaste, weird you know mouthfeel, and yeah, it just tastes like Sunny D. So. Zero grams of sugar, too. So mm. those that are concerned about the sugar intake here, you get to do it without that. They replace the sugar with the vodka. Yeah. <laughs> Wake up on a Sunday morning and have one of these and call get the day started. Right. Get the day started. <laughs> Who needs a mimosa? Weekend. That's right. This will be great when you're having, like you said, the family barbecue on next weekend for Memorial mm. Weekend. Wow, that is great. All right, so is that one of the popular ones going off the shelves right now? Yep. Yeah. It, it, literally, the again, the supply demand, the supply is behind the demand. Um, wow. And whenever we can get it, we have them just ship it to us. Just yeah. send it, um, and and it, it, yeah, it's again. You don't have, but you just put it on the counter, and people are like, "Oh, cool. what Look is this?" That. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, people see uh, Sunny D vodka, they go, "Okay, it, well, I'll grab a four pack of that because I yeah. need to try that." And then they realize that it's good, and they come back and get another one. Yeah. It's really pretty good. It's really pretty good. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I know during the pandemic, we talked about the shortage of like aluminum and some of that stuff. Is that better? Uh, all the cans that you guys are getting, is that still an issue or is that back on track? Uh, by and large, you know, we're pretty much back on track supply chain wise. 
Um, and, and, you know, not seeing specifically like, the aluminum or, you know, at one point the, you know, the boxes for boxed wine or the bags for boxed wine, just those random things that you never thought about. And then all of a sudden they throw a, throw a wrench in things. Yeah. Uh, that stuff's gone away. We still have here and there, I feel like there's a epidemic of trucks disappearing. Like, oh, we're supposed <laughs> to get a truck. Oh, it never showed up. Or, oh, it flipped on the highway. Or it's, uh, it's bad okay, time to be a truck Those are the right accidents now. that make me cry. When I see beer splattered all over the highway right? from the accident, I tear up a little bit on those. I want to drink that, not the highway. <laughs> Oh man, that's real. Well, these things are getting back to normal, though. Yeah, that's yeah, that's good news. Now, the last question we're running a little short on time here is: uh, I ask you this as well. We have another Conor McGregor fight coming up in August or September. Is proper twelve still a popular thing right now? And will we see a spike in that during the fight season? I, I, usually, it does. When he fights, it becomes it becomes popular again. I, yeah. mean, I noticed. I think there was a big fight a few weeks ago that was big, normal, bigger. Yeah. Um, and that's when it really seems like when there's a fight, all of a sudden Conor McGregor stuff. Conor McGregor stuff yeah, comes out. Yeah, he was back in doing whatever he's doing. Oh, he's selling more stuff. So it kind of rides this like wave of yeah. yeah it's kind of people. Um, people are, are like, oh yeah, proper twelve. But it's yeah. also something that most people aren't going to go buy and like drink an entire bottle on a night. So you know, this it, guy. It's, it's this guy. It's it's it's, a, it's you buy <laughs> for a little bit and then you. And then it goes the back. One, so, well, he's hosting yeah. the season for the Ultimate Fighter this year, and That's then right. at the end of it, that which is I think coming out at the end of this month, really in the next week, and then uh, he fights in the fall. So I can imagine it's coming back up. But the last time you guys put me onto the Apple one that he had just came out with a few months ago, and that was really great as well. So I'm glad there's still at least a little bit of traction continuing on yeah. with that. There is. I mean, the flavors, the flavor profiles are the kind of you know you got to mix it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, I do want to tell everybody that Bushlight Peach. Will be here oh. in June. Bushlight, bushlight peach. Bush peach. Yeah. Another apple's gone. Bushlight peach is going to be the is the thing. So um, interesting. Uh, for that on the show. Another one to try. Yes. Good golly! It seems like everybody doing this, going down the fruity lane, the, the yep. light, the light fruit style, just to keep you refreshed. You get it to and during the summertime. So the apple used to come out a lot, and now the peach yeah. will take its place. But it's it's again, it's that fruit forward kind of just to change it up for for the hot when it's hot out. When it's um, hot outside, yeah. yeah. Well. Everybody loves it. It is Sunny D Vodka Seltzer. You can go and check it out, Davis Liquor Outlet, and it it really does. It tastes to a T. I don't even taste the vodka or the alcohol in it. It tastes like a sparkling Sunny D. So you got that one. Then you got the Dominga and that one, which the New Belgium, which, again, it tastes almost like a grapefruit seltzer, and uh, it's just it's delicious. So uh, right on the money, guys. You guys are always rocking it, and uh, we love it. we got just about a minute left here, but uh, where can people find you guys? So uh, best place to go is either davislickeroutlet.com, our website, or head to our Facebook page. Follow us on there. That's where you can find all our giveaways, tastings, new information, stuff like that. And your app. Um, and the app, of course, because then yes. you can uh, you know browse the inventory, buy stuff online, do curbside, all that uh, easy, convenient stuff. And at the end of the day, just swing on by. At, you know We have uh, stores at 13th and Waco, Kellogg and Tyler, and 21st and Amadon. So wherever's closest to you, just stop on in and... Uh, Grab some beers. You guys are all over the place. I love it. Well, now you have your drinks. You have an idea what to do for your barbecues for Memorial Weekend. Next week, it's Blake and Brian Davis. Guys, we appreciate it as always. Thank you so much for coming in. We'll do this again real soon and uh, get another update on what the latest is out in the market. Sounds good. Thanks for having us. Always a pleasure. There it is. We're out of time, my friends. It goes by way too fast. The Weekend with Michael Brown coming up right around the corner here on KQAM. We'll be back at it again on Monday for The Voice of Reason. Next weekend, we will not have a live program due to Memorial Weekend. So uh, we will see you back again here in a couple of weeks for your Saturday. Until then, everybody, have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the little bit cooler weather this morning, at least, until things warm back up. It's Candace Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM.